Welcome to Queer Talk Africa, the podcast that aims at changing narratives around queer identities in Africa. On today's episode, we discuss being trans and African or being trans in Africa. We're joined by a very special guest and um, I'm pretty excited about this episode really because the guest is such an amazing person and I feel um, she is doing a lot in her community to change the narratives in her immediate community but also just in Africa um, raising awareness about trans issues and also um, creating uh, platforms for other um, trans-identifying people. Hello. Welcome to Queer Talk Africa. Are you able to hear me? I am. Okay. It's so lovely to have you finally. I know I have um, delayed this. Um, but yeah, uh, finally, um, we're here and I'm really excited to um, have a conversation with you. I'm actually, I'm actually a little bit nervous. But Why? Yeah, um, um, I don't know, because, you know, because you're Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, whatever. So, um, yeah. Can you hear me right properly to... before we go, yes. In, go on? Yes, okay. yes, I can hear you properly. So we're just going to go straight into it um, because we've already done the intro. So um, yeah, let's get right into it. So um, I'm going to allow you to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and things of that nature. Okay, great. Okay, so my obviously, you know, my name is Jordan. I am an LGBTQIA plus rights activist, mainly focusing on digital activism. Um, obviously, because it can be quite hard right now to be um, like a physical activist because of COVID, but also just another, a lot of other reasons that maybe we'll explore in this episode. But um, I am also a, a consultant in gender. I also do equality, diversity and inclusivity. I am a, a, a media personality event host. So that is what I do. Perfect. Um enough from your answer um i feel like even like covid aside right i feel uh, in this day and age there's a lot of power in social media and there's a lot of power in the internet and i always talk about how um when you look at movements such as the black lives matter movement right those are movements that started from twitter um, and online spaces and they were able to um, form into big movements movements that um are still paving way for um, change um, around the world and things of that nature. So I feel there's a lot of power in digital activism. Um, yeah. Even when we try to break um, certain stereotypes and try to change narratives, I feel like with people like you who are um, taking um, a stance on social media and digital platforms, I feel like it creates an atmosphere for change. So, um, can you tell us a little bit more about what digital activism entails in this case and um, why is it the path for you aside from um, the COVID that you mentioned? 
Right. Okay. So for digital activism for me basically entails me using my social media platforms, but mainly Twitter to speak on issues that I find to be relevant to QIA plus rights. Um, I think digital activism also means just taking up as much space as possible, which means that I also do do a lot of interviews, such as this one where I am being invited to speak maybe on radio, sometimes on people's shows, um, you know, being asked. I guess it's a lot of interviews and interviews and just taking up space uh, where it's it has to do with being online. I think it can reach out to radio because I, I kind of think radio is a little bit digital in its own way. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, we're just in a more modern age where I don't have to necessarily be leaving my house to go out and be active and holding a placard up that says whatever I am standing for, you know. I think there's a lot of effectiveness that comes with being able to access the online airwaves and I guess it reaches more people. For me, I think the reason why I I cannot necessarily access a lot of spaces physically is because obviously I am a trans woman and I exist in a country where my identity is not recognized. I am not seen as being, um, you know, a, a first-class citizen in the same way that other society, my other society counterparts would be in the same field. Um, so I guess that it also can be a little bit dangerous for me at times to go into certain spaces with my my politics and my um, opinions and views. So it is much easier for me to access spaces that I necessarily wouldn't be given physically by already establishing a name for myself online. So it's kind of like a thing of if you have something to back you up online, people take you more seriously. Whereas if I just enter a door and say, yo, I'm a trans woman, a lot of people will close the door in my face before I even get a chance to show them who I am, what work I've done, you know? So I think online, your work kind of speaks for itself. Mm. Yeah, it actually does. It actually does. And I feel like, um, I I like to put it this way. I feel there's more people online than on the streets now. And so um, even even when, um, if if physical activism is opted for, I, I feel there's a bigger impact on doing it online as opposed to the traditional way. I mean, of course, the traditional way is um, very impactful in terms of uh, meeting with policy institutions and what have you, and um, some protests or whatever, whatever form um, of activism that one may um, engage themselves in. But I feel like with social media, and at least for you, what you're doing is you are not only changing narratives about um, LGBT queer people, but you're also creating space for other queer people um, who are in Africa, other queer kids who might be going through um, identity issues and what have you. And um, this brings me to my second question where I was going to ask you to just run us through your identity journey because um, you know, like I, I, I personally identify as um, trans non-binary and I keep telling people this every time they ask me what that means. I always say, um, I may be my age or whatever, but I'm still on the journey of self-discovery. There's still a lot yeah. that I have to unlearn 
even even as a person who's an activist, even as a person who's very loud about being queer, there's still a lot of things that I need to unlearn. So um, it's a journey. And uh, especially being in the environments that we're in, I don't think it's a journey that, uh, you know, would take a year or whatever. Like it's a journey that we constantly have to be on. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah. can you run us through um, your identity journey? Okay, so I think for myself, my identity journey, like maybe a lot of people, started when I was very, very young. And basically, that was just me coming to terms with the fact that I was not... Um, obviously, I was assigned male at birth. And so mm-hmm. what that meant was that when I was growing up, I guess people expected me to act a certain way or to exist in a certain way. And so, um, you know, when I was encountering certain situations, I began to realize that maybe I didn't fit the expectations of other people and I showed up in a different way than what's expected of me. And um, I guess it made me realize I was different. Like there was something fundamentally different about me that was kind of in quotes wrong Um, and something that people looked at and saw like, oh, this one has a defect and I say defect in quotes. Um, So I think that um, as time went on, you know, people tell you that you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be acting like that, why do you walk like this? And kids are laughing at you, you know, about the way that you act and the way that you speak and the way that you talk because you're not like the other kids. And so I guess from a a young age, I knew what it meant to be like feminine or to be in quotes gay, you know, and so I was always running away from that. I didn't ever want to be seen as like, Oh, I'm a gay man, or I'm, or I'm this, or I'm that. Um, I think as I got older, I started to explore, you know, um, my sexuality and spending time with men. Um, unfortunately, I think that identity was revealed to me through like a series of assaults, sexual assaults, and um, you know, from older men. Um, the first one happening when I was really young, and then the second one with someone who was 17 and I was like 12 years old and then you know uh, so on and so forth and then I eventually left Zimbabwe to go to school in South Africa um, and I was in grade 10 I mean I was like 15 years old and um, exploring my identity because I think I had a chance to be away from my loved ones my yeah. family and I didn't have to really like live up to anyone's expectations. I had a clean slate. And so um, I just, I guess I latched onto what I had been told my whole life, which was you're gay, you know, because you act a certain way or you look a certain way. So I guess I started identifying as gay. And um, for me, for a while, it felt, it felt correct. Not a while, for a minute, it felt correct. It felt like, I was in my right identity or I was doing something for myself. But the longer I had experiences and like had sexual experiences and even socialized, I just felt like I still wasn't satisfied. I still wasn't fitting into exactly who I was. Um, And so I started then identifying. I came out to my parents, obviously. When I came back home from school, it wasn't received amazingly. It wasn't even received well. but yeah, I had to go back to school. So there was not much that they could do. So um, after that, I started um, 
identifying as gender non-binary, the more that I got access to information of like different identities, you know, and, you know, the idea that I don't necessarily have to be a gay man because I think I was still attracted to women mm-hmm. and like femme yeah. bodies and different different identities but it wasn't like but I felt like I had to be attracted to men only and it was like yeah. these rules and for me it didn't feel right it felt like I just came from this like being cishet and being forced into this like now why when I cross over I still have to adhere to all these rules like it doesn't feel right to me um, because how can I run away from one set of rules to join another set of rules you know mm-hmm. so I I guess I started exploring my non-binary identity because for me that felt the most free. It felt like felt like freedom identity and in, in how I could identify, and yeah, it just made sense that I could be anything or anyone. And as time went on, I I guess I still wasn't feeling satisfied. Um, and I guess I always looked at the idea of being a trans woman from a distance, but I always felt like. People used to treat trans identities as like, oh, you're taking it too far or you're the extreme, yes. you know, the extreme left of identity or you're doing too much or, you know, you oh. just like attention. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I used to shame myself and believe I could never look like a, a, in quotes, a woman or I could never be feminine enough to be a woman. Or, But my experience, funny enough, growing up was always me being asked the question, are you a girl or a boy? A lot of the times actually even being gendered as a woman in a lot of spaces until people found out that oh I actually in quotes was not you know so I think I even remember one of my earliest memories was me telling um, my dad that I wished that I was born a girl and he shouted at me and was like no like all of this stuff and so yeah obviously it was shamed out of me eventually as time went on you know I felt myself feeling like a woman I felt myself experiencing like womanhood in my own spaces in the privacy in my own you know the privacy of my own company and just you know exploring what that what that would mean to me exploring what exactly is a woman you know what does a woman look like why does a woman have to fit into certain you know and why do I shame the idea of transitioning or being transsexual or transgender you know what is that and so um yeah I I got mugged outside of my house one night when I was coming home from somewhere and I was stabbed and luckily the knife broke while the while it was going down um and there had been a story I think I've told the story before where they were saying someone in my neighborhood they had stopped a taxi driver in my neighborhood and they found two severed heads in his car. And um, so for me, after that happened, after I got mugged with a knife, like they stabbed me and I survived and like I was good. I just felt like I had skipped death and I was like, it could have been me whose head was found in the back of someone's car, you know, and I would have died so unsatisfied. I would have died not fulfilling my potential. And so that next day, the very next day, I came out as trans, as a trans woman, and I never looked back. <laughs> I, I find a lot of power in that, like how you were able to um, come out after such a tragic um, incident happened. Like, I find a lot of power in, um, yeah, in, in that particular story. But um, there are a lot of things that you've mentioned that um, uh, caught my attention. Um, the first thing I think, um, the one thing that I, I, 
relate with directly is I feel like um, for trans people, for a lot of trans people, at least for myself, um, what came naturally, and I've talked about this um, on this podcast before, what came naturally to me was my gender identity, the fact that I did not identify as um, the sex that I was assigned um, I was assigned at birth and even as a six year old, like even when I was as little as six, as little as three years old, like I just knew that I was, I had the wrong orgasm. Like I knew um, that there was someone inside me, but I wasn't quite mm. sure yeah. um, whether it was a boy or girl or, you know, um, or anyone else, because at that time I'm only six years old and all I know yeah. is the, the binary. Yeah, and what you've been taught, and, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I, I remember mentioning once on the podcast that um, all I knew was to be myself until I yeah. was told that myself is wrong, that who I right. am, you know. Right. So it, it, it was at that point, at age eight, nine, that I tried to stop being who I am. But then when I reached a certain age, I couldn't run away from who I am. I had to go back to six-year-old me who was uh, comfortable with who um, I am as a person. And um, you mentioned issues of sexuality and gender identity. And I feel like um, as trans people um, and even uh, people who um, identify maybe as non-binary or genderqueer or whatever, um, I think there's a lot of confusion when it comes to balancing sexuality and gender identity, because um, we 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 tend to want to fight um, certain things. You know what I mean? Like, okay, yeah. I identify as this, right? Okay, now comes in sexuality. What sexuality am I supposed to be? Or um, what sexuality does the world expect for a person who identifies as this to be? Right. You know what I mean? And, 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 and those sort of arguments and stuff. And um, brings me to the question of how are you able to send out the message in the world um, to young queer people um, and to um, allies and other people who um, are audiences of um, activists like yourself how are you able to um, send out a distinguishment between gender identity and sexuality? Um, I think for the most part, that is quite hard for a lot of people to grasp, you know, because it's kind of like the default is that if you're born with this set of genitalia, you are attracted to this. Or if you're a woman, you're attracted to men. Or if you're a man, you're attracted to women you know and so i think it begins by debunking this idea of of heterosexuality you know there's no corresponding um sexuality that comes with the gender you know there's just whoever someone is attracted to attraction is not as binary as we think it is in the same way that a straight man could be attracted to a trans woman at first sight mm-hmm. because what a straight man is attracted to a woman he's not attracted to genitalia you know, mm-hmm. so when he sees this woman, he sees what he's attracted to, her beauty, the way that she presents, femininity or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that just shows us a pure sign of pure fact of like, you're not, you're not attracted to 
what someone may be deep down inside or what they who they are or you know the the nitty-gritty at first sight our attract attraction is quite primal it's quite instinctual you know you see it you like it and so for me i think that identity identity is the nitty-gritty you know it's that what goes deeper when you finally get to know someone you finally get to sit down and have a conversation what makes you tick what makes you angry what makes you you know happy what you know how do you show up which bathroom do you prefer to use what pronouns you prefer to use you know what also maybe what your goals are what are your identity goals or what you know I think there's different things that make up an identity, but when it comes to attraction, your sexuality, it's not something you really can choose. It just happens, you know? In the same way, I think yeah. if uh, there are a lot of transphobic men who would rather not be attracted to trans women, but they can't help yeah. it. They just are, you know? Because they are attracted to women. You can't decide whether or not you're attracted to someone. So I think that's yeah. my perfect example. I'll use it in the context of a trans person. You know, people see someone they are attracted to them and then when they now find out that, that that person is trans their social conditioning about what identity they should be attracted to comes into play and they now are pulled back and they say i can't my identity does not correspond with your identity you know yeah. so yeah. that's what it is mm. um you mentioned earlier you you talked about um existing as a trans person in your country being hard um and and you finding difficulties even in even just like going outside sometimes and going into certain spaces um can yeah. you talk a little bit more about um how exactly it's like um being a trans person in africa and i was talking about how um there's there's the closet right the yeah, yeah. the closet and all that and i came out i told uh, a few of my friends and relatives and whatever but i feel in africa we always like go back to these mini closets like every single time as queer people because every single day you go to the grocery store you go to yeah. um you go to school you go for work or whatever you always have to like you always find yourself in situations where you have to crawl back in the mini um, closet because um, you, you have to be safe, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. You don't know whether being um, openly you could um, lead you in trouble and what have you. So yeah. um, how do you think, um, of course, from your experiences um, as, as a person who is trans, but also um, interacting with other um, trans Africans, do you think we... Um, at least heading towards a position where trans people could be safe to exist in Africa? I think um, it's unfair for me to say, but it is what is the true representation. I think if you pass to a certain extent, people are very much okay with you. You know, it's passing privilege. If you look it, if you look the part, it's more acceptable, mm. you know, in the mm. same way that, you know, with racism, when there were black people who were lighter skinned, it was more acceptable than darker skinned mm. black people, you know, so it's more like a thing of assimilation. If you can assimilate and fit into our society, then we will accept you as such, but you will never truly be accepted, you know, so mm. it's a thing of like us and act like us then we will pretend that you are one of us you know mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. i think maybe for now because of su the thing is such a thing 
privilege there are some strides being made you know like this is why i say for myself i am not a true representation of what is happening on the ground because i do have passing privilege um and i think in in a lot of ways it has been intentional for me to want to pass as much as i can also because i know that i i kind of have a voice and i have a platform and so for me to be able to infiltrate a lot of spaces i have to you know look the part play the part and you know so i know that i have to use my privilege to help the the other people in our community who don't have the same privilege not to say i'm being the voice of the voiceless or whatever yeah nothing like yeah. that but uh, just a thing of you know if i'm being allowed into the door once i'm in the door i must make noise you know for people like myself i must speak up don't yeah. be allowed into the door and just become part of the furniture because then what's the yeah. point you know mm. so for me i think there is a lot of way being made by those who pass um which is unfortunate as as well because you know the real the real not the real experience but the more brash and more um um i think you could say an account that can give you the true nature of how people treat trans people comes from those that don't pass you know because mm. they get to see the ugly of human beings when they when they yeah. say they are one thing but other people decide for them you can't be that thing you know okay. because you don't look like it mm. um so i think as sad as it is you know it takes a certain type of look and feel for a lot of people to be given way but i think that's maybe a start it's a bit of a start i i would say i think i can't i can't hate on even the smallest of wins um because eventually they will lead to bigger and bigger wins you know so that's what i will say yeah um there's a lot of truth in um in what you said <clears throat> and um i love what you said about being able to enter a room and making yourself useful and not just being you know um idle so um this leads me to my next question um which is sort of related to my previous question which is um what strides when you enter that room when the room is entered by um people who are more passing what strides do you think can be made to um open doors for other people who might not be passing. And um, this is um, a comprehensive question. And what I mean is in terms of healthcare, in terms of um, the legal system, in terms of um, social, narrative, um, social narratives and um, policy reform and, and what have you, what strides right. do you think um, are needed to be taken by um, queer activists and allies um, and trans um, activists and allies? I think for me, the most important one, when you enter a room, the moment you enter, the first thing you say is, why am I the only person like myself in this room? That is the first, first question. You always have to ask, why am I the first? You're celebrating me. You're telling me I'm so amazing for being here. But why am I the only person like myself in this room? You know, so that leads on to the next part of what you would say, which is basically, um, just because I'm here does not mean that the work is done, you know, just because you have one person like myself sitting at this table does not mean the work is done because my experience is not everyone's experience in our community. My skill set is not 
everyone's skill set. What I want to do with my life, my identity is not a true representation of everyone else's identity in our community. And so, you know, when you open up that door for conversation and ask people, so what makes me so valuable that I was accepted and not this person who may even be more qualified than me to be in this room, but just because they look a certain way, you haven't accepted them, you know? And that's been the case in many situations. I see a lot of people who are more qualified than me on a daily basis, not being allowed some of the opportunities that I've been allowed. I don't have a university degree. I have not studied. I have not done, you know, the half the work that a lot of people have masters, PhDs and, you know, gender studies and, you know, a lot of the things that I do. And for me, it's kind of sad because I'm like, how is it me being chosen? As obviously I'm grateful. I'm very grateful to be given the opportunity. But it's also sad because it's like, I know what it's like to be people in our community who see someone like me getting the opportunities. Yeah. The colorism, because I'm light-skinned, because I'm passing, because I can speak a certain way, you know? And it makes me sad. It kind of makes me, when I enter certain rooms, it makes me ask these, ask these questions of why, what, what exactly is the situation on the ground? Like, why do we need to have a token? Why am I your token? Why, why have you not chosen this person? And also just pointing the finger to other people who are doing this work as well, you know? I think that's another thing is like not gatekeeping once you enter this, this space, not being like, oh, I need, you need to reach out to this person. And you you need to, you need to open the space and be cognizant of the fact that you cannot carry the weight of the whole community as one person, you know? Yeah. And when people offer you jobs, it's also very, very dignified to turn them down and refer them to someone else who might be more qualified than you, you know? Especially if you know you're going to continuously be given more and more jobs. You know, as, as a token, as the token of the community, you are going to continue getting more and more jobs as opposed to someone who doesn't look like you or someone who hasn't had the same doors open to you. So it's very okay to turn down something, especially if you know that you aren't as qualified, you know? So I think that's that's exactly it. You open the door and then once you open the door, you need to learn to be humble and to take a step back and let other people now do the work. You know, the I, I think the hardest part is now when the door is open and now you have to let people do their jobs. So, yeah, um, yeah it's that, that thing of being able to step back. I think a lot of people get get into a certain space and then the glitz, the glam, you know, being the center of attention can be kind of blinding. Um, yeah. And so you forget that there's a whole other community with skills and knowledge that could better get better the the work and push forward the work much more than you could. Um, but I think everyone has a hero complex. Everyone wants to be a hero. Everyone wants to be the savior of the community and forgets that so, yeah. it's not a one man job, you know? So, yeah. 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 And that's why I always say there's, there's power in collective activism, you know, um, there's power in um, synergy building as well, and um, there's power in empowerment, like right. um, like you mentioned, like you being able to um, be available to offer opportunities to other people who might not um, have them as you do. Um, and um, so, what do you think? Like, what would you list as things that? need to be worked on um, for trans-identifying 
people in Africa? What are some of the things that you think, oh yeah, we, we need to um, collectively work very strong towards this policy, towards that? Um, what are some of the things that um, you think have been neglected maybe, or yeah. just need a little bit more push? I think um, first and foremost, it definitely is self-identification. Um, being being able to be recognized by your constitution and having the option to change your gender markers um, according with your identity so that things are more easy for you, so that government institutions are more easily accessible um, because obviously that is the hardest thing as a trans person is when you're gender markers do not correspond with your um, appearance or, you know, the way that you show up in certain spaces. Um, it can cause a lot of problems. You can be accused of fraud, as I have been on many occasions. Um, I think that the secondary to that would definitely be access to comprehensive um, gender-affirming uh, healthcare, such as hormones and, you know, being able to have gender affirming surgeries for those who are interested in that. Um, mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, for me, those are the top two things. That's really it, is being able to have um, our, identif our identities being validated by our government, being recognized, being provided with, you know, the necessary avenues to make that happen. And then secondary is being given the affirming healthcare that could help us to affirm our identities because we don't have the knowledge on our own we can't just do that we have to rely on people who have done the work um but i think just others be just making society more safe for people in the community the lgbtqi plus community as a whole not just the trans community i think the government's providing you know protections for people in the community being given you know a fair trial, fair. What is what is it called? They call it um, um. What is the term in in like law when they say you're given? I can't remember, but it's like a. Ugh, I can't even remember, but it's such a perfect term. I'm so sad. Um, it's basically being given like a fair chance. You know, when you come and present a case before the court and they, they, they give you um, your rights. So I think that's what it is. It's just being given our human rights, being given the opportunity to, you know, be protected. You know, if someone does, yeah. does a hate crime and I am the victim of that hate crime, then I get to go and report it. And it not being a case of me being an LGBTQIA plus person, but it being a case of it's a hate crime, you know? So... Yeah. Yeah, I think those are some of the things. And education, comprehensive sexual sexuality education, oh, comprehensive, comprehensive yeah. education to schools. Like CSE is so important. It needs to be something that happens in school. You know, the same way we're taught about other things in school. I don't think it's a yeah. it's, it's a harmful thing for kids to learn about, you know, possibilities mm -hmm. because. Yeah, it also saves children from being in abusive relationships, you know, and abusive situations, yes. having to find things out on their own. I know for myself, like I was saying earlier on, when I was 15, I was dating men who were, I was dating men who were 25. I was dating men who were 26. And I was like 15. And that's like a whole predator, you know, predators yes. were like lurking. Yeah. And... 
I could have avoided that if I just was given the opportunity to know that like what I'm not, I'm doing is okay. It's not a problem. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I can like boys or I can like girls. I can be, you know, a woman if that's who I am, mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. I think education, information, access to resources, you know. Yeah. yeah. As um as as we um start to wind up because of time a lot of things that you have said just now um, are things that I think can be um, achieved through, again, collective activism, synergy mm-hmm. building, but also intersectionality. And um, even when you look at healthcare, of course, we are still like miles away from getting there, at least in my country. Um, yeah, even mine. Yes, and I believe in like um, a lot of other African countries we're still miles away, but it's only I South like... Africa. Yeah, it's only South yeah. Africa. Yeah, but um, I like that at least now there are certain projects that um, focus on um, people who identify a certain way. Um, the the whole aspect of key populations. I've had um, a hard time accepting key populations or whatever, but then now the more the the projects and what they're working on, what what they're doing, the more I start to see the the impact in the community, the more I begin to appreciate them and also appreciate the power of intersectionality, you know? Yeah. And of course, there's there's a lot of discussions that still need to be had on this topic, but I feel um, if we're able to um, work with... um, if activists like ourselves are able to um, talk to healthcare professionals, um, find ourselves in um, policy meetings and what have you, then um, we could be heading towards the right direction. And again, yeah. there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but I really believe um, that there's, in order for us um, as, as queer Africans, in order for us to at least get somewhere, um, it's very important that um, intersectionality comes into play. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So, um, what in in as we close up, what would you say you would like to see in the African spaces in at least five years? Something that you think at least we can do, or like we're heading towards that, you know? Um, I think more pride marches, as crazy as that is, yeah. I think just more like yes. <laughs> more more visibility, yeah. you know, more yeah. no more showing up in the streets and showing people that we exist. That's yeah. for me, those are important, you know, being visible, showing people that we do exist, not just five mm-hmm. five of us who are, you know, out and proud, five of us who are visible. You know, in a lot of ways, they can say that we are the crazy ones or we are rebellious or, you know, yeah. and it doesn't help when we are, we, we know that we're not only the five of us or the six of us or whatever, yeah. however yeah. many of us there are who are out and proud. But it's nice to know that, you know, there's a community that has quantity that quantifies your, your identity and shows that we're not just five of us. It's not just six of yeah. us. There's a whole community of us that maybe didn't have the voice, didn't have a, a space to exist to show our faces, you know. So I think that for me is important, being able to stand proudly, openly, you know, without oh. there being any, you know, 
consequences that could ruin someone's life forever, like being put in prison or, you know, something like yeah. that. Um, I think also just like being being able to, you know, be having the constitution of whichever country you come from, recognizing you mm-hmm. um, as a valid citizen of the country, you know, that's that's important. I think in my in Zimbabwe they don't recognize uh, trans people in the in the constitution. Mm-hmm. I don't think they really even recognize the LGBTQI plus community. There's just laws that have loopholes, you know, that kind of address the LGBTQI plus community, but there's no outright law. So I think maybe yeah. just being addressed in a positive light, being given space within our own constitution so that we know that we are not second rate citizens. And that we're also yeah. first rate, you know. I think also maybe seeing political candidates who have, you know, LGBTQIA plus rights at as yeah. one of their campaigning tools. Do you know I hate to yeah. see so many people who don't want to speak on the community because they're afraid to lose yes. supporters. So yeah. I think I would love to see more LGBTQIA plus people in politics you know, campaigning, taking up space in Africa, you know. We've seen it in America, but we also want to see it here on the continent, you know. So, yeah, yeah. For now, that's what I think. Those are the things. Gender-affirming, maybe also gender-affirming healthcare. Even though they don't give it it to us legally, we still do our backdoor Mm -hmm. deals. But I mean legally, you know, where we can access things legally and games and risking our lives and our health mm. um mm. so yeah those are for me the top things that i think i would love to see in the next five years obviously maybe more safe houses for people in the community more you know safer spaces more events more opportunities more more of us just taking up space and also reclaiming space creating yeah. our own space as well yeah um and I, I just want to say, like, all the all those things you've mentioned are things that are very possible, you know. Um, yeah. And we've seen it a lot um, happening, um, especially um, between last year and this year, you know, where we're be- beginning to see a little bit more visibility. Um, yeah. We've had all these um, Pride events, all these um, online Pride events that we've had this year and whatever, which have been amazing. But I just want to um, thank you. I, I really want to thank people like you for being able to speak out, speak up, and also being able to um, actively take on the fight um, and also to understanding that you are more privileged, but also using that privilege in order to create privilege for other people who might not have it. Because, you know, I always think about um, the trans girl or the trans boy or the non-binary boy in villages who has no access to um, the internet, no access mm. to Twitter or whatever, but they're struggling with their identity and whatever. And I, I, I feel if we're able to change narratives um, in the small platforms that we have, there are more chances of it going um, and exploding to other right. regions which um, would ideally not have um, access to that. So, um, yeah, so because of time, we have to end here. We've yeah. kind of um, overshot um, the agreement. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but it's been it's been a great um conversation and i want to ask you officially if you would accept to do a part two um because i feel there's there's still a lot that needs to be um, unpacked um, and of course i'd love to because i really enjoyed um having a chat with you so um of course i'd love to um continue um having more chats with you so yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm yeah. definitely down. I love to do it. I love to talk. I talk too much. So I'm so, 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 so down. I'm 100, 100% down. I just hope um, we can make it happen like we did today, you know, just like yes. making sure yeah. we have time for to do this. Yes. Yeah. I'm always down though. Um, but yeah, I'm, 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 I'm definitely interested. I, I, I wanted to say something. Can I say something? Is that fine? Yes, please. <laughs> what I, okay, what I wanted to say is that I am really grateful to be given this platform. I'm grateful to you for inviting me and wanting me to be a part of this. I really appreciate the work that you're doing through this podcast. I think that we do need a lot more spaces like this, and you are um, kind of pioneering in many ways by creating a space like this because there are so little spaces like this. Um, so shout out to you. And one thing I just wanted to say is that because you are someone who helps to disseminate information, you are someone who's helping to change history, reshape history, and information is very contagious. When someone learns something new, it's very hard to not want to teach other people about it as well. So you are essentially spreading the virus of information. <laughs> so shout out to you, super spreader. <laughs> shout out to you to Queer Agenda. <laughs> okay yeah um thank you so much jordan thank you so much for um for coming and yeah gonna we're gonna wrap up here thank you thank you so much all right all right bye Cheers. bye